We're building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. Just before we get into today's episode, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to our weekly devotional group. Just text the two words, Promise Keepers, to 31996. Every week you'll receive a challenging devotional that will inspire you to put your faith into action in the real world. Again, text Promise Keepers to 31996. And now, here's today's show. So we're talking to Jeff Bramstead, Navy SEAL extraordinaire, and someone who did one of the most sacrificial brave acts of love that I've ever heard of. This is going to be a great show. Jeff, Mr. Na- Ken, Navy SEAL extraordinaire. Uh, yeah, what's a, well, once upon a time. So I want to be a Navy SEAL. Okay. So how do I become one? What do I do? Um, you're going to have to probably have been born after <laughs> 1990. <laughs> just say it. Tell me how look old. <laughs> hey, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that probably if I look at your driver's license, you'll probably be pre-1990. Okay, so let's uh, just say that my nephew who's standing over here behind the camera mm-hmm. holding one of the cameras, mm-hmm. let's say he wants to become a Navy SEAL. What does he do? Uh, Far too pretty. Um, Yeah, you, you, I mean, you got you to gotta have that ruggedly handsome look, you know, not looking like you just left a boy band. You know, yeah, and, and let's so. just—I want to acknowledge right now. Gage has huge guns. He was a high school wrestler, <laughs> so. But no one's off limits. <laughs> you got to pick on everybody. Um, so uh, there's there's a whole there's a whole litany of criteria for that. Um, starting with you have the desire to do it. Uh, do you want to? What do you? What do you want to do? Do you? Uh, all right, so let's do basic this. Athlete, Give me the process like and okay. then tell me what kind of man it takes to, to, to succeed. Got it. So um, the basics of the process, and this is going to be a hybrid of, I know what I had to deal with and then my limited working knowledge of kind of what it takes now. But to be a, to be a, to, you, you have to be a, a basic athlete. You know I mean? Just to have the basic uh, uh, motor skills to be able to you know, get in the front door of buds, which isn't, uh, super crazy, but um, there's an outline uh, for the performance. Uh, you have a, a, a physical uh, physical test that you have to take to be able to get in, and you have to be able to swim 500 meters. Okay, so you, so you far. joined the Navy first. No, this is before. They oh, want to make sure. Yeah, yeah, before the Navy. Oh, so, so when you sign up, you can actually sign up to be a SEAL before you. you Correct. Have, wow. Okay. Correct. So it's not like Special Forces in the Army. No, where you have to go yeah. do something Sorry. else first, and then or at least you, a little bit of something, and then. Then uh, after wow. you've kind of proven your point, then you can kind of go okay. into the SF. I think that's how they do it. No, here is they'll, they'll they'll take guys straight off the street. Wow! But you have to, of course, uh, get to boot camp first. And to get to boot camp means that first you have to be able to get a contract. To be able to first get a contract means that first you have to fulfill a certain level of criteria. Okay. And that stuff is score so high in your ASVAB, be able to swim 500 meters so fast and no, do out. this many push-ups this many sit-ups this many pull-ups be able to and run how many, this fast. How many do, you know, do you remember like where, what the numbers was um i don't know the numbers um i know roughly it's maybe sub eight minutes for for 500 meters it's roughly um i don't know i'm gonna say probably 70 80 pull-ups i know the guy or uh, 70 80 push-ups and sit-ups in two minutes 
when I ever, whenever I mentor anybody, I always tell them, hey, be able to do a push-up a second for two minutes. Okay. Be able to do a sit-up a second for two minutes. That way you're insured. So 120 push-ups in two minutes, you're, you're okay. Mm-hmm. Crush all comers. That's okay. what I say. Anybody who's got – because it's a it's – a, now that everybody knows about it because the media right. is so out loud and up front about everything that, that – Yeah, and I want to talk to you later are. about how you feel about all these seals writing books and stuff. I, I know you're <laughs> – Common question. That. Common yeah, question, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, uh, but once you get past the physical side of it and and, uh, and I, I probably running concurrently with that, you have to – you know, your, your, your transcripts from schooling – uh, do you have a degree or not? Uh, do do you, you need one? You don't have to have one. Eh, right now, like 60, 70% of the guys coming in have degrees. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The enlisted guys. So it's a sharp bunch. It's They're way, they're smarter, bigger, faster, stronger than when I went through. That's for sure. Um, so then there's the, um, there's a, you know, does it, somebody need a waiver? We have had some kind of a police interaction. Oh, <laughs> do they uh, uh, want to make sure that they're financially somewhat squared away? And usually the young guys have never even uh, seen a credit card application. So they're usually not in that much so, trouble. So if they've run up some bad debt, that could be a, a, could be a little bit of a problem. Yeah. I mean, now you're dealing with with uh, security clearances and things like that when you have some kind of strangeness in your background as far as, you know, questionable ability to be able to handle finances. Well, then okay. they don't really want you having some kind of security clearance where you have access to the national national secrets and national security issues so so once you get past all that one medically it's like a surgery in the past you can't have a surgery in the past three years or broken a bone or something like that well, that rules it's, you uh, out which we're going to get into later right 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 uh, yeah. i've had i've had i've had a, i've had a surgery a surgery i've never broken a bone though i've never had really broke ah well i take that back i broke a hand on someone's they back in the days dude i would rather break a bone than go through what you went through voluntarily and that uh yeah just just to teach it for later it's one of the most admirable and amazingly christian things i've ever heard anybody do what you did to save somebody's life yeah it was was incredible that was interesting but okay so we're in buds now we we made it to buds Mm -hmm. we're not in debt Mm -hmm. we can do 120 push-ups in two minutes Mm -hmm. and the same amount of Mm sit-ups And we can swim five. I'm not saying meters. that's a number. Yeah, I know. Right. Don't 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 quote me on those but, numbers. But you're go saying see your, go see be your, able to do that. Go see a recruiter, and you'll be if you can do those numbers, you'll crush everybody because it's a national. It's literally a national competition. Yeah, there's only what 2,500 seals, right? In that, yeah, only so 3,500. The, the elite. I mean, you're you're not just waltzing in. Right. They they don't hand. It's not they're, they're not they're not giving it away. But it's at at the same time, it's 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 there. If you want it bad enough, it's yours. All you have to do is just not stop keep on going Boy, man, you know sure. like uh who was it winston churchill once said if you're going through hell don't stop yeah, i mean when i went through marine corps ocs and their entire goal there was to make you quit mm-hmm. you know you just had to survive and it was not not a pleasant experience mm-hmm. you know so so you're in buds now they're not trying to make you quit but they are making you miserable because we learn we learn through pain by some degree they're trying to trying to make you i think it's probably always uh maybe interpreted as trying to make you quit they want to see if you got it and those instructors sure. have a job to do, and that is to make sure that the best candidate gets into the positions that they that are needed in the SEAL teams, and they do a great job of that. So now all the training is down here in San Diego. All the all the all the basic side is done here in town. Where we are right now, mm-hmm. we're at your your uh, skydiving place. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, very cool place. And, yeah, uh, can I say that there's a bunch of bug guys training outside? Yeah, there's a bunch of guys out there that are going into the into the SEAL teams. They're out there training for military freefall right now. That's very cool. Man. Yeah. 
Okay, so they're out there training. We're in here talking about what it takes to be one of them. Mm -hmm. They would go about uh, 20 miles west of here, mm -hmm. to Coronado, mm -hmm. into the freezing, cold San Diego water. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was a surfer, so I, uh, dude, I, I, I was such a, a wuss. I would, you living here in San Diego when I lived here. After October, I wouldn't surf anymore. It was just too cold. I right. Come back into May. You know? so yeah, I, never... I have an allergy, actually, to cold water. Um, and uh, I get these bumps all over my arm. Um, I, I, shiver, I shiver a little bit. I get really grumpy. You know, I think it's an allergic reaction to cold water. Um, I, get angry, really? I, I get angry eyebrows. Yeah, I get like when I get <laughs> on cold water, I start doing this a lot. So um, you had a six months of misery in buds then. In cold water. Correct. And I grew up in Wisconsin. You'd think that cold would just kind of come with me on this, but uh, it it didn't. And I try to explain to my friends back home. I'm like, it is cold. They're like, cold oh. and wet's different than cold and dry. It is. And you try to explain, they're, they're like, you know what, though, poor baby. Yeah, oh, right. you got a train in Coronado. I'm like, you don't understand. It is the coldest place on the planet. I don't know why <laughs> Santa doesn't set up shop here. And then and then they have you roll around in the sand just for fun. Get you wet, roll around the sand, and then you go on, you know, that's, and that's, does awesome for uh you know the chafing you know it's just a yeah so when is hell week is it six weeks in i mean you got to go through a little bit of a of an orientation phase okay. when you first get there and they teach you the basics this is what's going to be expected of you here this is how you run in the sand this is how you we're going to teach you how to you know the, the swimming part and they get a lot of that too in boot camp they have the second part of boot camp for the guys that are coming here oh, they do okay. yeah it's it's a, a it's kind of a orientation it's a um it's a pre-buds type thing where they're literally trained like athletes uh, to be able to come down and withstand the rigors of buds. Okay. And um, that is just to try to do everything they can to try to increase the likelihood of somebody making it through. They want guys to make it through. Yeah, sure. And so try to get them as every every opportunity to be able to do that. And the um, the when they do get here, when you do start one one day, day one, week one, a first phase, uh, three, four weeks in is probably where you're going to experience a week. That soon? Mm -hmm. They do it right away. Why? I mean, you invest a bunch of money into a guy that's not going to make it through, you know, and the classes are so big and they want to get them down to working size classes so they can start teaching So them what makes it hell week? What is so bad about it? Uh, it's, it's basically five and a half days of constant physical activity with little to no sleep. And being cold. And being cold. And they and it's it varies the intensity of certain aspects of Hell Week vary based on the time of year you go through during the summer you're gonna spend a little more time in the water you go through in the winter you're gonna spend a little bit more time running and dealing with logs and boats on your heads and things like that and put it in perspective I mean in the summer here in San Diego the water water can be 70 72 in the winter it can be like 55 56 oh, degrees it is crazy cold yep and this year it's it's unseasonably cold in the water really the water. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all the guys that I mentor, they get up every morning. It's a jujitsu with me. Starting about six a.m. By about eight thirty nine a.m., they're in the water for about a half a mile to a mile swim with a buddy of mine who's got a boat down at the marina. They get in the water and they they are not liking that, but they they do it every day, you know. And no and wetsuits not allowed. No wetsuits allowed. Oh, I <laughs> my two boys get have been have started doing it too. My my two teenagers. Yeah, they uh, they're starting to get an appreciation, shall we say, for uh, uh, appreciating warmer water. So, if somebody um, makes it to butts. What's your advice to them? You know, what would you warn them about, and what would you encourage them in? Like, 
you know, there's a kid out there or there's a dad listening. His son says, I got to be a Navy SEAL. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that, that guy? Getting through buds has a lot to do with, there's several things and some of them are completely out of your control. And that is uh, sometimes some guys' bodies just break. Mm-hmm. They can't run and as far as you might in your head and your your physically you're like I can do it in my head I can do this, but uh, then you you end up with things that just show it's up. Kind of like being fifty three, <laughs> <laughs> or fifty. I just turned fifty. Yeah, you know. But it, uh, sometimes uh, stress fractures, shin splints that lead to stress fractures, and these uh, or recurring chronic injuries that just don't go away. A lot of guys end up with uh, with a uh, 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 labrum tears, shoulders, hips, things Now, if like that, that happens to you, you're halfway through. Mm-hmm. Do you get to come back at that point? Mm-hmm. They will, they'll roll you and they'll-, they'll and So you don't have to start at the beginning, you, you start- Yeah, you start where you left off, okay. or at least the beginning of the phase where you got hurt. There's three major phases, first, second, and third, um, and they'll just roll you. So you, you'll just stop training, rehab, get better, and then start again. Well, if that problem keeps on happening, well, they don't have any choice, really. They're like, you're just, your body's not gonna mm-hmm. do well once get you on out so you can be successful somewhere else um but you know it's being being a i would i would always say to somebody who wants to be a seal to understand the fact that your body is 10 times more capable than your brain tells it that it is i learned that in ocs right and oh it hurts you you put on the you know the the get your get your wah wah going well when that happens now you're starting to almost capitulate to what your brain is just getting messages you know, your muscles and your body saying yeah i'm tired and i need rest and everything else but it can still keep going mm-hmm. it can still it's just it's just getting up to the edge of who you have always known you to be physically and your capabilities and then somebody stands behind you and to use an old army term gives you the old school kiwi assist Remember Kiwi, the, the shoe shining stuff, right? <laughs> the, the brand Kiwi. Give you the Kiwi assist. Right. It means a, Kicks you in the butt. Yeah, boom. And they get launched right off the ledge that they've always known to be their limitation. And then they realize, I didn't fail. I didn't definitely didn't die. I didn't fall down. I'm still on my feet, and my limits are six feet back there. I have a whole new set of limits now. That's what Hell Week does. Mm-hmm. And that's what Buds does. It keeps kicking you down the road until you have gone so far past what your what your personal observation has been for so many years of what your limitations are. Now you have a whole new set of limitations that you never knew you had. And that's what it's, that's what it's about. So whether somebody gets through buzz or not is, is one thing. Of course, that's the goal. But even if they don't, they've been tested and they come through the other side. They say, now I know that I can do something more than what I thought that I could have ever done ever and they get out and do amazing things some of the guys that get out of the seal teams go on to do such fantastic things guys who didn't make it through but got through a certain point of their training leave and they always deal with depression they deal with these parts of them that are just like i don't know man i should have i should have i didn't but i don't know what would happen it's like and then after a while they start figuring out like i'm really good at something it just i wasn't supposed to be there for whatever reason so there are guys that end up leaving buds that still would have made great team guys, mm-hmm. amazing seals, but because of the system in place and how it's set up, they just didn't make through. It's no, and there's no system that's perfect. How do you set up a perfect system like that when you're trying to find these types of guys? So I would always just say, man, just don't. It's just understand that you are going to get pushed past your limit 
understand that your limits are just temporary. And when you get there, everything in excellence, everything in excellence, everything that you say, the way that you treat your teammates and the guys in your boat crew, everything in excellence. Don't let anything come out of your mouth that's discouraging. Always be there for somebody. Take care of community gear before you take care of your own gear. Take care of somebody else before you take care of your take care of somebody else before you take care of yourself. How head on a swivel. Where's a need that I that I that I can meet? Because then at the end of the day, people are gonna say like, that dude is amazing at because he always looks out for everybody else. That's going to be also something that is. They always say it's it's a it's an individual sport, but it's also a team sport. It has both components. And if you can do both well, then you're going to do well no matter what you do going forward in life. It doesn't matter. So it's kind of what are you willing to take away from this as you go through the process? The amount of, of scriptural and biblical application points <laughs> to what you just said, right? I mean a walk of faith in God is the same thing. It's why mm. he puts us through suffering so often. It's because when we have faith, we have to count on him. We're desperate. There's no way out of this. And then he comes through. It builds and it builds and it builds. And, and mm -hmm. that's how you become a George Mueller who can just walk mm. in utter and complete faith to the Lord, stretching, stretching, stretching. Like Everything you just said applies to a Christian man or woman. Mm. Mm -hmm. You're not going to talk about the war. You're not going to tell any war stories. Um, but when you got to the war... Did you feel like you were fully prepared? Did you, were there things you learned when you got there that that you thought, oh man, I that wasn't in my training? Or how, how well prepared were you? I wasn't too stressed out about it. Um, when the when the when the stuff that I encountered in the SEAL teams was pretty mundane relative to the guys that are out there and getting amongst it. Well, fairly recently, I think now things have calmed down a little bit, and before we get going again on any whatever new theater that's there. Um, but when I did encounter, it was after I was in the military when I was a contractor and I got out and that was when I just looked around and I was like, I am not surrounded by the guys that I went through training with. Oh, really? Oh, I got some guys are cops. Some guys are firefighters. Some guys are army guys. Some guys are Marine Corps guys. Nothing against all those guys. They have their own language that they speak. Right. And... I'm the guy that's sitting there going, I know the answer. I got the solution. Let's do this. Let's do that. And they're all saying, well, you're not in charge. I'm like, correct. However, comma, I would like to go home at the end of this. <laughs> and so uh, I kind of took it upon myself to just kind of show the guys we we're doing a lot of uh, security detail stuff. So teaching guys what they needed to do to be able to get through this driving and and being able to work with our the guy that we're there to take care of. Um it was a big lesson for me in in uh, in leadership. We were mostly with army infantry guys, so we we were, I got put with army infantry guys. I got handed a whole bunch of army guys, and they said, "Okay, we're here to learn whatever it is you got." And I'm just kind of looking up and down. I'm like, "Cool, do you have any uh, magazines for those firearms?" It's like, "Oh no, they don't give us magazines." I'm like, "They give you a gun, but they don't give you a magazine." That baffled me. <laughs> so that was a whole new, uh, I guess, uh, argument and, and <laughs> argument. Well, conflict. It was a situation. Yeah. <laughs> a situation. It was a situation that we had to solve, but we did. Um, but end of the day, everything worked out. Everything we had, we had a few hair raising moments. But I think that what I always say that there are there are two kinds of leaders that are out there: the kind that are born and the kind that are created, mentored. You take someone who's a born leader, 
and they're not mentored, they're kind of like the bossy guy. The bossy. You take someone who is a like a, a, a they they've learned just be from being a great follower how to be a great leader. That guy is going to be really good. Now you take a born leader and he is teachable and mentored and he knows how to follow. He's going to be an amazing leader, mm. right? And so I was always trying to figure out which of those that I fit into because I don't think I was the born leader. I just don't think I I was just based on how I grew up and what I was around in my environment and everything else. I just never really got a good gauge of that. Um, was I a mentored leader? Sure, I was a mentored, I was a mentored leader, but how good of a leader was I? If you were to ask the people that have ever followed somebody, if somebody is a good leader, you're gonna get a much different answer than from somebody who has their own view of themselves. When you look at that distorted mirror of leadership, you're just like, uh, yeah, I'm awesome at this, 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 and this. But how many times are you going to really focus on your weaknesses? Well, what I did is I just really started focusing on my weaknesses. I know what my strengths are. And after a long time of focusing on my weaknesses, I started, I started thinking, if I, what if I surround myself with the people whose weak strengths are my weaknesses and I keep those guys right here? It takes a secure man to do that. It changes the game. It's mm -hmm. a game changer. So that's what I've been, last probably, I'd say close to a decade, that's what I've been focusing on is making sure that I am surrounded by people whose strengths are my weaknesses and people who are not going to uh, just uh, say yes to everything. And the people that are going to call me, call me on my stuff and just say that, that no, uh, that doesn't Hey, fly every out. pastor out there listening to this, rewind it and listen to that again. Because <laughs> the biggest problem we have with pastors in America today is mm -hmm. that they will not surround themselves with people who will hold them accountable and call them on their junk. Right. Yeah, it takes a, it takes a degree of security and humility to be able to do that. Um, you know, probably the biggest job that I've ever had in my life, and I've had a lot of them, from my first job, which I always win the first job contest, whenever you're sitting around a whole bunch of team guys and everybody's like, guys like oh the stripper i'm like wow <laughs> didn't see that coming you know <laughs> you get the one guy that's that's like i worked at mcdonald's i'm like oh there was a like somebody okay no more stories out of you i don't need you know but um all the way to where i'm at now right my first job all the way to where i'm at what was your first job now you gotta tell us what that was here. oh um i i i uh i worked for um i had two i was a corn detasseler a what corn detasseler Corn yeah, yeah they, they they send a whole bunch of kids out to a field. They make you walk down a two mile field pulling the tops of the corn off, um, so that you uh, so as cord corn because it's a it's a the way when you pull the tops off, you put it on the ground. Now it can't like a, what do you call it pollinate with other corn that's around it, and you end up with rogue corn. And so oh. you want to it keeps the corn. It oh. keeps the corn healthy when you as corn. So you're growing. castrating the corn. castrating corn. Yep, right. spay and neuter at the same time yeah. because corn has both in one. <laughs> anyway, it's a anyway, wow. That okay. That so digress. You, you castrated corn, and then what else? And I worked for a uh, a guy who was a artificial inseminator of cows. Okay, so you're making sure one thing can't get pregnant, and then you're making sure the other thing does get pregnant. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was like a job where, you know, you had a glove that goes yeah, up to your no, shoulder, no, no, step no, no, ladder. So, want me to keep going? I no, can do this all no, day. No, I got the I can visual. do it. Okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Works great until the cow gets mad and kicks the step ladder and you're only, you're less than five feet tall. Yeah, it was terrible. Oh, dude. Yeah, it was terrible. As I go through the 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 list of like where I've been in my life and through the the, the whole scope of careers and not careers, but just jobs, 
I, I, I always looked at, at the people who were around me. I looked at them much differently. As soon as I became a leader, the hardest job that I ever had was being a husband and a dad. And people say, oh, it must be so tough being a SEAL. must be so tough going through training. must be so tough. Cold water must be. I'm like, I mean, yeah. I mean, Buds was the best time of my life. I had, I, my responsibility load was so low. I'd put one foot in front of the other and do it again. And, and then again, told, and again, right? and again, yeah. do as I'm told. Don't do anything more. Don't do anything less. Do the best that I can. Run fast, swim fast, do more push-ups than, than you could possibly ever imagine and go eat a bunch of food. Oh. Okay. Oh, all, all while living on the beach. <laughs> when you're 20 years yeah, old there's people paying 500 bucks and at the I hotel know. Coronado just to be where you guys are i know and it's like that was the best time of my life the hardest job i ever had was was being married that's why i don't understand the guys going through buds and they're getting married at the same time it's like i have an idea let me push this big huge rock up a hill oh you know what i'm gonna push this big rock and this big rock up a hill at the same time you're gonna get crushed by a rock yeah. Anyway, you cut it. And guys that are do it and they do it successfully. <laughs> I mean, I just look at it through my goggles, you know, my life's goggles. I'm like, I don't think I would have done that so well. But when I have a kid now, you know, I have these young boys and they're, you know, wanting to follow in dad's footsteps, do dad stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a game changer. I learned more about leadership, raising my kids. I have four kids. How old are they now? 19, uh, 19, 17, 16, 10. And so two of them are already skydiving. Two of Murray's got them. Yep. yep. That's nice. Yep. And the 15 year old, she's not going to. She'll have nothing to do with it. And um, and then my 10 year old, you know, he's going to be following up behind his his older brothers. And he, I'm sure he wants to, he wants to get after it too. So, but. Are any of them going to become Navy SEALs? The first two boys, of course, um, my daughter is special needs. And now that they're doing you know, women and buds type thing, that would be open to her, but she's, she's special needs. The two, the two boys are and her the, the first three are all uh diabetics so until technology gets there for that to change oh. then they'll be okay. they won't be able to go into the military um but the 10 year old is uh he's our new guy so we've had him for three years um he is he doesn't have he's not diabetic they are uh he's you know it's open to him if he wants to do it but he wants to be a praise and worship leader all right. So he's our musician, singer, creative kind of kind of guy, you know. It's uh, so it's fun watching the difference between all of them. Now you said a minute ago women are open to buds type things. What does that mean? They can go into their their buds is now opening up for for females. Mm -hmm. But none of them have made it yet. Have they? I don't think I so. I think, think it's fairly new. Do you I think they can? Do you think there's a female that can and I don't think any woman's made it through Marine Corps OCS yet. I, I don't, I mean, it's like, I'm not really against them trying. I'm just wondering if, if they're giving up something that they would want to have later to get through buds. I'm not sure that if they did true buds, I mean, the way it was really designed, I mean, 10, 15 years ago, buds, I don't know what the, what the, if the standards have changed i don't know what that's like right are, now. are you worried about that i mean that was my concern i saw that on the lapd when when women got on the lapd 
Um, well, let me do this because I don't want to leave anybody hanging because okay. people are going to be like, I'm coming for you. If you don't <laughs> like what I'm saying, my name is uh, Ken at uh, promisekeepers.com. Send me all your comments. Um, love to hear from you. Believe me, I, I'm already getting, <laughs> I'm offend people so much that <laughs> on both sides you of the both. aisle, man. You me both. I, I get letters, every, especially during the Trump presidency, I would get letters, you are a pro Trump you know, terrible pro-Trump. You're a racist. Get, oh, and then I would get, you hate Trump, you're a liberal. And I'm like, thanks. Yeah. You know, yeah whatever. Yeah, you're awesome, bro. Yeah. I just want to be pro-Jesus. So, right. you know, are you worried? I mean, so in the LAPD, you know, we saw that um, it was, well, women can come on, but they have to meet the same standards. And then when they couldn't meet the standards, they kept lowering them. It was like SWAT. We had Metro, mm -hmm. which is like our special forces. Mm -hmm. And they kept lowering them until they got them to a point where they could have a few women on there. And mm -hmm. so when they let women into combat, I'm like, oh, here we go. Because they're going to say, well, if they should have a chance to make it if they can make the standards. And then like in the Marines, they had 28 women, the best women in the Marine Corps try out for OCS. And none of them made it past day four. Mm -hmm. So then they started screaming that the 250-year-old standards of the Marine Corps were race or were sexist and they started lowering them and so mm. are you worried about the standards of the military and our readiness to fight uh, in a war if we're getting woke and and worrying about you know the makeup of the military rather than just getting the best fighters that we can have yeah. regardless yeah i i don't know what the standards are doing i have not looked into that lately i, I knew uh one woman who she actually came to me and asked me to mentor her into the SEAL community. And uh, at the time, I I had never even thought of it. It never even occurred to me. So I, I didn't have a chance to really form my opinion on it yet. And so I, I was really frank with her. I said, I'm not quite sure how I feel about that yet. Um, and she said, I'm not either. I'm not sure. He's like, I'm a 33-year-old captain in the Marine Corps. I was like, got it. Uh, you look fit. You look like you're you know, kind of squared away. You don't get to captain the Marine Corps and be, a, be an idiot. And she was just like, nope. I was like, okay, want to have kids? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When? Oh, probably here in the next 18 months to two years. I'm like, got it. All right, cool. Are you married? She's like, nope, nope, I have a fiance. Mm, okay, another problem. All right. Um, and um, when you have kids, how many kids do you want to have? I'd like to have a big family. I'm going to have four or five kids. Cool. How long do you want to spend in the military? Uh, probably another three years or so, and then I think I'll put in my resignation. I'm like, so listen. I don't want you to pop your bubble or anything. But first of all, it's going to, you, when are you going into buzz? She's like, I think I'm going to probably about 18 months from going in. I'm like, you just said that you want to have kids in 18 months. She's like, yeah, just right around after that. I'm like, do you even know what you're getting into with buzz? First of all, 18 months from now, you're 34. You're looking at, depending on when your birthday is, you could be 36 years old. Your body is not going to behave the same as a 21 year old dude. He has a hard enough time getting through. Now you're a female who's, who's literally 35 years old, nearly 35, 36. You're going to be going through. I'm wondering what's going to happen with your menstrual cycle. She's like, I don't understand what you mean. I said, let me break it down for you. You're going to run nearly a half marathon a day. Some of the time you're in the water, you're going to be swimming somewhere between two and seven miles in the water. 1,800 push-ups. That was before lunch. No way. So, yeah, yeah. Holy cow. day Day one. And I remember my, my my swim buddy and I were counting. And then after lunch, we were just like, I'm not, not counting anymore. I just don't want to put up with that. And I don't oh. think I can count high enough anyway. But then, after, but but my thing is, you want to have children. I want that for you as well. Are you going to be able to do all of this and still be able to have kids? 
are you still willing to pay that price? Because there are guys that I know that that are, I always, I always say, and I've heard it said, and I have repeated that the same thing that allows you the drive to get through buds is the same thing that's probably going to keep you from walking at 50. Mm-hmm. And as it stands, I don't have any cartilage left in my knees. I haven't ran in two or three years. That's why I fight now. That's why everything is about, you know, just being capable in the way that I possibly can. What's your price tag going to be for going through? And are you willing to pay that? Because if that's what you're willing to pay, then do it, then get it. But if it's, if it's not, and the thing is, is that I think that when it comes down to women going in, if that's their thing and that's what they want to do, I am not politically opposed. I just don't have that part of my that just doesn't exist. My thing is people. And are you able to do that and do it successfully? Because if somebody comes up to you and says, oh, that's your goal, that's your dream, here's the price tag. Are you willing to pay it? And if you, if your answer is like, I cannot afford that at all, how do you know if you can afford it or not? But there are certain portions of a price tag where you know you can afford it. You pay this, you do this, that you know that you are pretty much going to just be a, you're going to be incapacitated within three. Your quality of life is going to decrease. You want to have a family? Do you want to have a decreased quality of life while you have toddlers? Do you want that? Or maybe your 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 inability to have kids. It's just a it, so there's a bunch of question marks with that. And those are the questions that people need to answer before they go in, guy or girl. So that's where I'm at on it. Okay. I think so. that's a pretty good non-opinionated but very factually based thing about counting the costs before right. again another real spiritual scriptural application jesus says you know um a man goes to build a tower he counts the cost before he starts so that he doesn't run out of money halfway through and he's got a halfway mm-hmm. done tower and everybody makes fun of him right you you better know yeah. what you're doing before you start getting in because lots of people want to be called a navy seal not many people want to do what it takes to get it right yeah it's not just at the bottom of a cracker jack box you know it's, it's a, there's a lot of um there's a lot of bleeding that goes into that. You well, know, you had me at 1,800 push-ups before lunch, baby. That, yeah, <laughs> that's all the price tag you had to show me. Right? <laughs> it comes in handy, though. For You learn a lot of tricks and buds when it comes down to raising boys, though. If you're raising boys, it's like, oh, really? That's a good idea? Wow, you just lost your privilege of hot water for two days. <laughs> watch, your, watch your attitudes change right away. I don't have to take cell phones away. I don't have to take away their uh, iPad and TV. Uh Uh-uh, hot water. (laughs) After a couple of cold showers, they're like, check. You know what worked well for my daughter was taking her door off the hinges. Mm -hmm. I've done that, too. Yeah, Yeah, that's a fun one. When you learn how to speak to your mom more respectfully, you get your door back. Yep, you get your door back. The other one, too, is um, I'm I'm right now trying to figure out how to reduce the amount of oxygen they get with every breath. (laughs) Because if that can happen, you know, then uh, after a while, you know, when you start walking around, you're just always like, you always feel like you've been underwater for two or three minutes. Having raised two kids with uh, bad asthma, I never had to worry about (laughs) that. Never had to worry about that. They did themselves. Yeah. (laughs) But just these buzz guys out here right now, are they, are they the level of what you remember? You're seeing them out here, you know, Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, They're, 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 I'm putting you on a spot. I yeah, yeah. No, these guys are I mean, just like watching their brains work. Cause I go out there and I talk to them and I look them in the eye, see what they have behind the, see, you know, see what's behind the, the, uh, the glasses there and uh, get to know them a little bit, ask them where they're from. It's the same cross section of society that when, when I went through. Is that right? 
It's the exact same cross-section. You got the farmers, you got the guy that came out of real estate, you got the guy that went to Ivy League school, and you got the one that just barely graduated high school, and you got the the, the guy that uh, um, got tired of corporate America and decided to go. I mean, they, you, it's a it's a clean, it's a very clean cross-section of society. They grew up different than I did, though. Yeah, right. I didn't have an Xbox. I didn't have a PlayStation. You didn't have email. I didn't have email. Old. I didn't have a, a texter. You know, I didn't have super fast thumbs like these guys have. When you wanted to find someplace, you had to take out your Thomas guide and like look it up on a map yep. and figure it out. <laughs> if yeah. you couldn't read a map when I, you weren't going far. Yeah. And it's like, I, I remember I came home from school once when I asked my mom, what's for dinner? She goes, I don't know. What are you bringing home? I was like, well, here's my cue. Grab my fishing pole, grab my worms, go back to the lake. Caught, I came back with, you know, nine, 10 fish. And she was like, I was kidding. <laughs> I was like, well, but and so she was like, Dinner plans on hold. Now we're making fish, and we had fish, fish. But I was so proud because, I get, but how many kids get to experience something like that? But that's what happens when you grow up out in the country doing country boy stuff. And it was it was a very interesting, different, different. I'm not saying some of these kids don't grow up that way. I'm just saying that the things that are available to them weren't available to me. However, some of the things that they have had to face, they face sooner. Then the things that I've had to face, things come with having a cell phone at your disposal. There are things that I had to go down and I wonder what was behind on that magazine on the wall in 7-Eleven behind the, the, the thing that's in a wrapper, the magazine in a wrapper. I'm like, oh, hey. My mom's like, what are you looking at? Get over here. Right. I'm like, oh, nothing, nothing. Uh, looking at the uh, auto parts guide. I'll come over. I'm, I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> now, in the privacy of their closet, their room, wherever they are, they can pull something up that could possibly have a uh, things that they can never unsee that could possibly ruin the way they view relationships for the rest of their lives. And having to battle that with even with my boys, these guys are having to face that, you know. And so it's like it doesn't have anything to do with buds. No, I kind of got the topic a little bit, but I mean, these guys here are—I mean, they're going to be—they're going to do just fine. But also, technology has changed too for war fighting. It's completely different than what I went through. You know, they have much more information. There's drones. There's forward-looking things that they can see. Satellite imagery. I remember the first time we had to send any kind of di digital imagery. Dude, we were out there. We were humping around thirty-five pounds of gear. Now a guy pulls his cell phone out, looks at his phone, and his sister from across the world sent him a picture of her cat. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, wow, look at that. See, my sister's cat. Now, before we had to carry 30 pounds of gear to even get anything close to that sent somewhere else for military <laughs> purposes. So it's, the technology is different. So, <clears throat> so I, I mean, things have changed. I talked to some guys that fought in World War II. Uh, were clearing the beaches of Normandy. And I got to have, uh, I did a movie not long ago on them. It's called Navy Seals or Untold Stories. I got tired of all the media, all the stuff that's going on with seals. I'm like no one's ever telling the old guys stories. Let's hear some of their stories. Mm -hmm. So me and my filmmaker partner, we went out, we raised, you know, eight hundred, $900,000, took us three years. And we interviewed all these guys and the stories they told were fantastic. And I'm looking at that going, I don't know, man. Where can someone find that documentary? Navy SEALs or Untold Stories. Use your, use, use, use your Google machine. Okay. See what, see what comes up. It was on PBS. Um, I haven't looked it up in a while. Um, maybe on, uh, it might, it'll be on YouTube. You'll be able to find it on YouTube somewhere. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we got to go to this little break. But when we come back, you, all the character you talked about that gets mm -hmm. built in you, it had to all come out in one moment of testing for you to see 
where are you with your faith? Where are you with your love of, uh, of your neighbor? Mm-hmm. And um, how much suffering are you willing to put up with to save somebody else? And so, think about this break. I want to I want to delve into that. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly forty years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan. Utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. Promise Keepers is back, and we're relaunching the stadium events that brought millions of men to Christ. Join us this July at AT AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Texas, for a men's conference like no other. Strengthen your soul with unforgettable worship led by top Christian artists, Form friendships with brothers in Christ that last a lifetime and discover new tools and strategies that will empower you to follow Jesus more faithfully. Be sure to get your tickets before they sell out or find a simulcast location near you. Visit www.promisekeepersevent.com for the latest information. We'll see you this summer. So we're talking to Jeff Bramstead, Navy SEAL extraordinaire, but just, there's something about you and your life that makes me admire you way more than the whole SEAL thing. Because we all talk about Christian love, and sometimes you sort of wonder, if I was tested in a certain way, how would I come out? Right? That, that's one of the values of, of you know, military, special forces, Marine Corps, or being a, a big athlete is you know, testing yourself, seeing how far can I go, that, mm-hmm. as we talked about. But in the Christian walk, it's like if I was going to be burned at the stake you know would i recant you know i was just reading a story about 38 priests in the soviet union that were dragged out and you know gun put to the head and, and said is there a god yes pull the trigger and all 38 of those priests stood up and, and did not recant their faith you know would i be in that camp and you you really don't know till your moment of testing comes you can say oh I, i'm the man i could do it you had a moment of testing come in a way that was just unbelievable and mm-hmm. so i'm just going to let you tell the story about what you did out of Christian love for someone that you never met. Christian love. The hospital staff would differ with you on that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> F-words don't necessarily rule oh, Christian yeah. love. We learned that I was the worst patient in history. <laughs> um, my wife went to college with these three other girls. And to this day, they're all super tight. One of them has a sister. Her name is Melinda, who was suffering from a, uh, a disease called um, polycystic kidney disorder or disease. Basically, it cysts on the kidney, but for her, it had migrated to her liver. Her liver was about the size of a, of a newborn. Usually, your liver is about 1,500 grams. It's about that big, right? 
hers was the size of an infant, a newborn. Oh, and so what was happening was it was taking her, or it was displacing all of her organs. Her kidneys were pressed against her spine. Her heart and lungs were impeded on. So her heart rate was high. She, she was having to breathe at the top part of her lungs. Just this really like, frequent breaths just because she couldn't get a full breath she or it was her and her diaphragm was affected it was moving her intestines around Mm -hmm. stomach was moved and she was so uncomfortable she was wasn't able to stay awake for much of the day because she was just always so tired and lethargic because she didn't have the movement of o2 and oxygen and i don't know how it all works i'm just trying to piece together what the doctors had told me about her and what she's told me but she made a plea for her life on on facebook and uh, me not being a big social media guy, I don't even have social media. My wife, who had Facebook, f- found it. And I was over in Denmark at the time. I was over at the uh, Skydiving World Championships in in uh, uh, in Copenhagen. And she sent me a, a portion of it through text message and said, this is what uh, I just found. Um, this is Melinda. This is Michelle's sister. What do you uh, What do you think? I read probably four lines. It basically was, if I don't get a donor, um, I will no longer be able to be the wife and and mother that I've grown to love to be. And it basically, she was saying, if I don't get a if I don't get a transplant, I'm going I'm going to die. A transplant of a liver transplant. Liver. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I read probably the first four lines. Just replied to my wife. I'm like, cool. I'm in. Put my phone in my pocket. Went on with life. It's, it was as easy as that. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, uh, uh, well, wait, let me pray about it. Uh, let me think about it. It was just a, a see a need, meet it. Um, if you need a miracle, which at the time I really didn't, but I just, but if you need a miracle, be a miracle. Watch what happens. Uh, when you're always looking out for somebody head on a swivel, I always tell my boys, character is the, is the place inside you where the things that you say, the things that you do and the decisions you make come from. And I made them memorize mm, that's that. That's good. Say that again, because uh, your airplane was just drowning you out. That was a helicopter that I don't own, owned oh. by uh, Uncle Sugar. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's a U.S. government. Um, <laughs> it was a, uh, it's, it's why I, I take the kids to school. I am told them, I'm going to ask you every day, what is character? And then you have to say this back. So it's kind of like, a, I'm going to write. This is the response. And you will memorize it. You understand me? <laughs> and so, all right, boys, what's character? Character is a place inside of you where the things that you say, the things that you do, and the decisions you make come from. It's that God center. It's that heart thing that has to come out of you. Which means that to have that means that there has to be a healed heart for that to happen. And so I'm trying. And so I, my boys have that and so i would ask them after school well how do we do today and i laughed at a kid i shouldn't have laughed at like well tomorrow we know what we got to do we got to go fix that Mm. right the big three the three biggest most healing things you can say i'm sorry i was wrong will you forgive me to that kid and you're going to make a new friend in the process Mm. good for you and so watching these kids do that right so to me that was i can't sit there and tell my kids this is the, the character you have to have this is what you need to do this is how you want to live your life if i'm going to be the guy that's going to be like ooh, that looks like a bad problem step over it and then carry on with my life i see a need i gotta meet it it just has to happen there is no other option so i said to my wife i'm in she was like i'm in no discussion or hey what do you think or what do you i was like no i'm 
I'm in. She's like, well, what about the role I get to play? And she's like, you know what? Never mind. I'm in first. And so she was back home. So she put her name in before I even got there, before I even got home. I didn't even know it. And so uh, she, there's a questionnaire you have to fill out, and they ask you all these really interesting lifestyle questions that you can possibly imagine about <laughs> you know, drug use and mm-hmm. you know your uh, your sex life and things like that. And so uh, she got through that, and then she went to do her drug test, and they found that she had a – um, a marker in her blood that she, if she was on an operating table, her chances are 30, 40% higher that she would bleed out on the, on the, wow. on the, on the table. Or, or is it, uh, no, it's the opposite. They, her blood clots too fast and could create um, um, uh, moving obstacles around in her blood. So basically she could um, aneurysm mm-hmm. uh, on, a, on an operating table. That's what it was. So she got kicked out. So I came home from Denmark and she was like, so I tried before you and I uh, didn't make it through. And so now it just became this competitive thing. You know, I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, I got this. Did the questionnaire, did the test like, oh, yeah, you're good. And uh, I may or may not have actually said neener, neener, neener to my wife and uh, went and from. I, I get to get cut up. Open up I, get to, I get to get the big <laughs> scar, you know. <laughs> so then I went to um, uh, Denver, Colorado, and that's where we did at UC Health. Uh, met my doctor. Her name was Dr. Elizabeth Pomfret. She is amazing. And uh, she just explained what's going to happen. And we're still in the, the phase of being able to figure this out. Three or four trips to Colorado for more testing. The last one was uh, the really deep, like they put you in the MRI machine. They look at everything. They put you on a treadmill and they say, we want you to make this the hardest workout you've ever done. I'm in jeans <laughs> to a and no seal. shirt. A- and my wife's sort of reading a magazine. She's just like, I can't believe you said that out loud to the nurse. <laughs> but I like point that thing straight up. And I'm just, they have a six minute mile on it. I'm, I'm up there with wrecked knees, just, just tear this thing up. And she's like, you know, he's going to break that treadmill. And in the process, he's going to need knee two double knee replacements. Like get you, he's been going long enough, put him on the table and get your information. And so like, okay. So I'm like sweat all over the place, lay on the table. And they're, they got, they said, all right, well, you're good to go. And that was the so final. So, what was that moment like for you? Like when they say you're good to go, and you realize that this competition you're trying to win, you suddenly won it, and your prize is you get to go through yeah. a horrific recovery. I was excited because I had never had a surgery in my life. I wanted to see this firsthand, and uh, <laughs> um, so uh, for me, it was an adventure. I, I'm not but, sure it was love. I think you might just be insane. It's, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little crazy. But but I remember the day that I met Melinda because it was that last day of testing and my wife was not at the hospital with me in denver and i was dealing i was in the room across the hall why was she not in the hospital with you um she had to fly home for something she's a scientist and she has stuff that she has to do that's on timelines based on what she's doing for her for her uh, project for she's a chemical engineer i was in in the room with the the um social worker and she's she's saying look and listen did anybody ever coerce you pay you money um, is anybody blackmailing you to do this or whatever? And I was like, lady, if you knew the life I led, there is plenty to blackmail. The thing is, I just talk about it in front of people all the time. So it's not really blackmail at this point. Um, but no, nobody, I did this at my own will. Mm. Why did you do it? I'm like, because it's not okay that there's going to be a woman who's not going to be able to be. And then I thought about it. I said, it's not okay that there's a man that's going to lose his wife when he there's nothing he can do about it. So I'm standing up in his stead for his wife. And she just, she just kind of looked at me. She's like, I've never heard that response. 
And I had started answering another way, but then I switched because I remember thinking early on, what would it be like if I was in this position where my wife needed something and there's nothing I could do because maybe our blood types weren't the same, or maybe I had something that would would in, would get in the way of me having to be who I needed to be for her. And it that would destroy me. That would change me as a human being. It would literally change me as a human as a man, as a father, it would change and it would be a lot of work to come back to, from to that. To watch her die and know that somebody somewhere could have done something right. that nobody would. Or that I couldn't. Yeah. So you that's feel the like biggest a failure piece. as a man. Yes. And so I was like, that's that to me is is enough. Mm. And she was she was like I, and she was she was like, wait here for a minute. She went out in the hallway, you know, she went out in the hallway and shut the door. She came back about ten minutes later and she was like, listen. The lady who is going to be having your liver, she's across the hallway in the room and she wants to meet you. How do you feel about that? And I was like, absolutely not. Really? And she was like, wait, what? You just got done giving me this big answer that was, you know, in my opinion, fairly noble. And then you're saying, no, you don't want to meet her. I'm like, no, no, we have plenty of time. I'm sure in the hospital when we're recovering. Um, But how long is she awake per day? Probably three, four hours. Cool. How many kids does she have? She has three. What are their ages? They're 17 and and uh, nine and seven. Hmm. And her husband works and everything else? Yeah. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this woman who's awake three hours a day. And we're going to, and she's probably been awake for probably half of that more than that right now. And we're going to put her on the spot and we're going to put her in front of a complete stranger who's giving her a portion of his liver. And we're going to have her right now on the spot, come up with some crafty way where she feels like she's going to have to say, thank you. We're going to do that now. We're going to do that to her. That was really empathetic. And he's, and and she was like, well, once again, I didn't, I'll be right back. (laughs) (laughs) This time she was gone for like 10 seconds. She came back and she was like, let's go. Like the option had been removed. So I'm like, fine. I walk out in the hallway. It was like every doctor in Colorado, I think, was in the hallway. I mean, in uh, every doctor in the United States. How much How much more hyperbolic can I get with this? Did that um, freak you out when you realized I the walked seriousness? Out there, I was like looking up down the hallway. I'm like, did I miss something? Like, what happened? And they're all, everybody's crying. Like, this is so wonderful. I'm like, what is going on? Like, we just love when when they meet for the first time. I'm like, like. I, I didn't swipe right for this. <laughs> I, this wasn't like some Tinder thing. This was like, I, I, I don't even understand what's door. She's in here. Cool. I went in there and when I, <laughs> did you ever see like when a little girl has a Barbie doll and she shakes it, what the hair does, blonde hair, it's like all over the place. That's what it looked like. This woman came flying across the room at me, this little blonde girl. She jumped like three or four feet in front of me and latched onto me, arms and legs. She was like wrapped around. And, and I'm like, it, and then her husband walked up behind her. And he was, and he's this really buff, good looking guy, you know. And then he starts talking. He's got a Kiwi accent. I'm like, oh, seriously? And an accident accent? Wow. I was like, nice to meet you, man. I know it's uncomfortable. I'm kind of wearing your wife. Um, I, <laughs> and, he was, and he and he was crying. And um, after I got her kind of, you know, had to, you know, create some space, get her, get her off, got off me. And she was just bawling. It was just this moment. And uh, we, we were talking. There was just one of the, our doctors were in there 
And oddly enough, they're a married couple too, the the doctors. The mm. woman who took the liver out of me gave my liver to her husband who put it in Melinda. Dude, that's just crazy. Yeah, and they met in high school. They didn't even meet at liver doctor search, liver doctor school, you know? <laughs> they and these they're, they're these amazing people and we stayed in touch with them as well, my wife and I and James and Melinda. But uh I said, you know, Melinda, I'm not doing this for you so much, no offense. I'm just doing it for him because I can't imagine what it would feel like if your wife is in this situation. There's nothing you can do about it. And that was a really strong moment between James and I. Mm. And ever since then, he's been one of my best friends on this planet. Really? And uh, we've stayed super tight. And and even Melinda and I, but their kids are just like, my, I feel like they're my kids. They're, we have this, this thing that's going on now. So I literally call her my little sister. And we, because uh, we actually share to some degree some bit of DNA because she has a portion of my liver and, and the liver does grow back, you know? So she has a full liver, I have a full liver. Um, it's just that now she just, every once in a while might crave a beer here and there. She might have to have the remote in her hand, you know? And <laughs> every once in a while need to hear the gunfire, you know? I mean, she's just probably, you know, she's just probably gonna have these cravings that she didn't have before. Really, really, really like bacon. I don't know, maybe she didn't before. But um, our friendship, and our family dynamic between the two, they have has become very, very close, just like we were born into the same, the same, the same family. And through the recovery process and everything else, just staying in touch and staying able to uh, for a week there, I was able just to walk across the hall and just go see her in the hospital because we are we were we were, they put us right across the hall from How each much other. Of your liver did they take? They took um they took 30% of my liver. Normally they take 40%, but she was super tiny. And so she didn't need, and, and my liver, the doctor said, your liver is freakishly large. I was like, you know what they say? Big hands, big liver, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so they, uh, they took just a portion of it and uh, a little bit, they took another little slice that they use for some uh, medical testing. Every time they have uh, somebody who, does this voluntarily they they want to know if there's they're always trying to find if there's some kind of common commonality between all the people is there something in their 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 makeup one thing that they found was has nothing to do with the liver that's just for science but they're all fire law enforcement military is that right they said 90 percent of them that's what they are wow um, when they do the altruistic version of of, of the people of who donor, agree to be donating mm -hmm. when, when we talked about this before you told me the recovery was not fun not fun how long did it take you to uh 90 uh, 90 days of not picking up anything over 10 pounds but for the first probably two weeks you're sleeping constantly you crave eggs and steak because really yeah you protein high protein stuff because your body's regenerating something that takes oh, a lot I of protein it. to regenerate oh, wow, yeah. and um so i and but uh i remember the one thing i asked the doctor i'm like i want a gnarly scar i mean i want it like <laughs> i i want it to be gaping massive i want to be able to like test my wit to be able to come up with a different story every time i'm asked about what that looks like you know <laughs> now so, did you have to be careful the drugs they gave you because your liver is what processes drugs right mm -hmm. so did they have to be careful about that um and also I'm, I'm asking two questions at one time here but do you have any long-term effects after that 
can you do you have to not drink alcohol do you have to be careful about taking ibuprofen i mean is there any no no long-term effects um they weren't super careful about that stuff because um i was fairly prehabbed i think i was a healthy individual with no pre-existing conditions i had uh, never even been in that situation before <laughs> um and so that your anesthetic anesthesia 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 was their mark one motto that they normally do um the anesthesiologist that was there we, call, we called her the white walker because she was just i mean she was the white she was a white walker game, oh, of, game of thrones reference oh, oh. she had white hair and these piercing blue eyes and she was terrifying all four feet of her she was just like <laughs> she's like listen to my voice can you hear me and i was like yes ma'am like she was kind of creeping me out a little bit she said i am a woman I am small and I am old. None of these things describe you. So when you wake up, if you even, if I even think that you feel like you're in a fight because you wake up, you have no idea where you are. You start wanting to, you know, uh, yeah, I got the biggest needle in the room. I will put you back down, boy. You understand? I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> but I didn't. I woke up. When I woke up, first thing I asked was, is, is Melinda okay? They're like, nope, she's fine. She's wow. just fine. Of course, she still had another hour and a half of surgery, so he lied to me. you know. Wow. But then I then I went back to sleep. But, but um, man, the doctor staff was amazing. Doctor, so you're fine. I'm I mean, fine. You're, you're rolling. You're, you're back to jujitsu. I was thing. back. I was on the 91st day. I was back on the mats. Wow, man. Yep. And uh, And she's fine. She's fine. She's great. She has to take um, some medications the rest of her life, just uh, anti-rejection medications, and uh, that's and and those I think have to take a, give her a little bit of a hit on her immune system. So you know, you know, she got she got uh, she got COVID. Oh, um, so uh, she called me. She's like, uh, James has COVID, and I was like, cool. You won't get it. She's like, why not? Why why won't I get it? I'm like, COVID is now afraid of you. You got mild. <laughs> and she, oh, she called me back about five days later. She's like, okay, so now I have COVID. Now what? And I was just like, you won't have any symptoms. <laughs> She's like, I'm done listening to you. And uh, she didn't. She was just, she was down for a couple of days and she was right back up and she was doing just, doing just fine. And so nice. it didn't really affect her. Uh, fortunately, it didn't affect her a whole lot. So how did this, um, change the dynamic if it did it all with you and your wife and your and your walk with the lord the uh the, the liver the liver yeah, thing the sacrifice the sac yeah. i could not have done that without her the reason why it was at the ready the answer yes let's do this was because i knew that she was going to have my back 100 percent. not everybody can do this and i mean that from a financial standpoint you have to be independent of a Right. Paycheck that happens and you have to be there for the paycheck because you are going to be missing from work for a couple months. You have to have a family member that's going to be able to be there and take care of you and put up with you when you're in a little bit drugged out state. And some of it's, I mean, it's, you know, it takes a while for things to start working again and to put up with all of that, your entire body to start working normally. And my wife was a trooper through that entire thing. She set up everything up and I did but my best I could before set up things on auto pay, make sure that bills are, make sure all that stuff is being done on its own. So then there's somebody there, like the kids are good because they couldn't be there with us either. How are we going to set that up? So it took some logistical planning, 
but she was right there every step of the way. She was right beside me. She was right there in front of me. She was right behind me. She was everywhere. She was all over making sure that I was good. She's, I am the worst patient. I'm the guy that's gonna be like, I'm good. Let's, uh, there, there are some weights around. Yeah, I gotta pick up some heavy stuff. She's like, as long as it's under 10 pounds. I was like, yeah, those colored ones over there, they look like keychains. I'm not picking those up. I'll wait, you know? And so I just ended up being the person that needed the ultimate of babysitting. And she was so good with that and so patient with me because I am not the best patient ever. You know, I'll take care of somebody else, but it comes down to taking care of myself in those situations. I'm not very good at it. So, but she's, she was fantastic it, with my, my relationship with my wife literally doubled, tripled, quadrupled if it could I'm being hyperbolic again, but it definitely it let us know that even in the toughest stuff, the 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 questions that need to be answered that can have long term effects, the answer is long term effect. When the answer is the way it is, and she knows that it's the way that God would have us go, she has zero zero qualms with it. She's just like it's an adventure. Let's do this. Send it. And that's uh that's 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 Robin. That's just how she's wired. So it was amazing. Dude, you are a stud, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for being on here. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to On the Edge podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison. Ken Harrison.